Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing our series on wisdom. We've talked about obtaining wisdom. We've talked about the nature of wisdom. And then this morning, we're going to talk about walking in wisdom. What is the purpose of walking in wisdom? We'll discuss that this morning in our sermon entitled Walking in Wisdom. And I hope you enjoy. Colossians chapter 4 this morning, Colossians chapter 4, and um, we've been going through a series in wisdom, and this will be our third message in this series, it's an eight-week series on wisdom, and uh, if you have your places in Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to ask you one last time to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. Give me just a little more volume, just a little bit. Colossians chapter 4, verses. we're going to start in verse number 2 and read down to verse number 6. The Bible says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. The title of the message this morning is Walking in Wisdom. Walking in Wisdom. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd be with our service this morning. I pray that you'd be with the preaching of the Word of God. I pray that the Word of God would bathe our hearts and fill our minds and our souls and our spirits and give us power to live a victorious Christian life. Help us to understand what wisdom is. For as this in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. When I was a teenager... All of my friends had CBs in their trucks, and I had to get me a CB in my truck. I got me a little Toyota pickup one ton, and uh, uh, I wanted me a CB in it, and so I went to the Fernwood truck stop when it was still open, bought me a Cobra Classic CB. I got me a Cobra Classic, and I put it in my truck, and I got me one of them fire sticks, one of them big antennas, and I put it on there, and my dad had a, he had a kicker because he could boost the power, you know, more power, uh, uh, you know, got to have more power. And so I borrowed my dad's kicker and I got everything peaked and tuned and I got everything, I got everything, uh, everything hooked up. And I remember the first time I turned it on, I was in my truck and I, I got out on Magnolia Progress Road and I got behind a an 18-wheeler, man, I turned it on, I turned my kicker on, and I grabbed my mic, and I keyed up, and I've been practicing my jargon, and I was like, uh, breaker, breaker, one nine, radio check, breaker, breaker, one nine, radio check, come on back with that radio check, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, he keyed up, and he answered me back, he said, copy that, loud and clear in that radio check, where are you going in that four-wheeler, and I said nothing, <laughs> I'd actually got a trucker 
to answer me, and I had no clue what to say. I froze. I did not know how to talk to him, so I reached over there to the CB and went click and turned it off. I had no clue how to talk to this guy. I spent all this time and all this money setting up this CB and everything, and I did not know how to use it at all. So unless I was talking to one of my buddies, I didn't talk to the truck driver because I was too embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. We spent all this time talking about wisdom. We talked about obtaining wisdom, how to get wisdom. We talked about the nature of wisdom, how you're supposed to act when you have wisdom. So now we're going to talk this morning about when you walk with, what's the purpose of walking with wisdom? What is the purpose of walking in wisdom? Well, if you read the scripture here in Colossians 4, the purpose of walking in wisdom is to be a witness for Christ. At the end of the day, that is why we have wisdom. We can have wisdom to, to lead to do our own Christian lives, and we can have wisdom to help our things, and that's all good and fine and dandy. But, you know, God's ultimate goal is for people to go to heaven. God's ultimate goal is for people to know the gospel. God's ultimate goal, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved and come to repentance. It's his goal that everybody hears the gospel. It's his goal that everybody gets, has an opportunity to be saved. So at the end of the day, when we walk in wisdom, that's the purpose of walking in wisdom, is to be a witness for Christ. Now the actual term for it is called personal evangelism. Now, uh, that's just another way of saying being a witness for Christ. Some people call it soul winning. Soul winning is another term used. Now, listen, wisdom can be an effective tool to win souls to Christ. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit to you back. I can remember back when I've had plenty of opportunities to lead somebody to Christ, and I stumbled, and I fumbled, and I messed up, and I didn't think I did a good job, and, you know, I had opportunities, and I didn't walk through the door that was open to me, and I, I had opportunities to lead somebody to the Lord, and I didn't do that, and it was about that time that I was starting to grow in my Christian life, and I said, I need to get wisdom. I need to get wisdom in this area of being an effective witness for Christ. Now, there are two extremes when it comes to witnessing. Some people may say, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not good talking with people. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just lead a good Christian life. And I'm going to let them look at me and see what I have. And then they'll want what I have. Now, that's actually, that is an approach. And it's called lifestyle evangelism. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is a good thing. It's a, you, we ought to live a good Christian life where people can look at us and look at our life and see that we're different and they would want, they will want what we have. That is a very good and effective uh, evangelism tool. However, however, that shouldn't be your only approach. If that is your only approach, to evangelism, then you need to live a better uh, need to live a better life than Paul. You need to live a better life than Jesus, because not only did they walk the walk, but they also talked the talk. 
Yes, they lived the life, but then they also gave people the gospel. They also talked to people. They also gave uh, people opportunities to be saved. They spoke to sinners about salvation. Well, walking a godly life is a good foundation um, you know, for bearing witness. It, it's not enough alone. It's not enough alone. They'll just assume, sometimes they'll just assume you're a moral person. Now listen, lifestyle evangelism has got people saved. It has. When you're in a situation like at work and you can't witness to people because there are rules, then they're going to watch the way you act and they're going to watch the way you, and if they come up to you and they ask you about it, then that's not on you. Then you can share with them. But we're not only to do that, but we're also supposed to proactively go out. We're supposed to proactively talk to people about the gospel. So that's one extreme. The other extreme, I call them muggers for Jesus. Muggers for Jesus, like, a, like vacuum cleaner salesmen knocking on doors or telemarketers. They just, just, just like in any situation, just run up to anybody and everybody and, 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 tell, and, and witness to them. Now, let me clarify some things. There's nothing wrong with door-to-door soul winning. I've done that all my life. All my life, I've done door-to-door evangelism, door-to-door soul winning. I've done that all my life. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is you've got to let the Holy Spirit guide you. You know, if you go up to a door and that person's in a hurry, or you go up to that door and they're in the middle of cooking supper, and you go up to that door but there's kids running around and screaming in that house, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not going to just witness to every person that I talk to door-to-door soul winning. I'm going to let the Spirit guide me. And if the Spirit says, you're going to do more harm than good if you say anything to them right now, then I'm going to leave them with a gospel track. Every person, when I do go door-to-door soul winning, every person I meet, talk to, whether I witness to them or not, they get a gospel track so they have the gospel in their hand. I've given them the gospel. But there's certain situations where if I was to witness to them, then it would do more harm than good. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. When I was in Bible college, I went soul winning with a, I went on church visitation with a man named Marhalski. I forget his first name. But Marhalski, he grew up in that big church where, um, where I, the Bible college was at. He was a little bit older with me, so I was with him. And he prided himself on that he would give the gospel to anyone, anytime, anywhere. And that's good, to a point. We went down to our neighborhood that we were in, and there was a big Catholic church. And he saw the big Catholic church, and he said, oh, that's my bread and butter. He said, follow me. We went inside of that Catholic church, and inside the foyer of that Catholic church was a, was a deacon of the Catholic church. Mahalski went up to this guy and just started witnessing to him. And the guy, after a few seconds, said, you know, I really don't want to hear that. You can leave. Marhalski kept talking. He was talking over the guy. The guy was getting mad. Marhalski was just giving him the gospel. And the guy was getting mad. And, trying, and he looked at the, the deacon looked at me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And eventually, when Marhalski got done, we left. In that situation, he didn't do that in the spirit. He did that in the flesh. And he probably hurt that man's opportunity to be saved. If that man does die, and go, it, it could be he goes to hell because uh, Marhalski put a bad taste in his mouth. What I'm saying is, is you've got to let the Holy Spirit lead you. 
Okay, so, you know, on the one hand, you got muggers for Jesus. And on the other hand, you got people that are, you know, you know, silent, um, silent witnesses. And somewhere in the middle is where we need to be. Uh, he wants us to be wise witnesses and and he wants us to take advantage of every opportunity to talk graciously to lost people about the Savior. So here, here's the purpose of walking in wisdom. The purpose of walking in wisdom, the end goal, is to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. How do we become an effective witness? Well, let's look at the scripture this morning. This, this, this sermon's got two parts. The first part I'm going to call groundwork. So this is groundwork. Let's look back at verses 2 through 4. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So the first step in witnessing is prayer. Prayer is the first step in witnessing. Before you talk to a person about God, you got to talk to God about that person. Um, so if prayer is the first step, how should we pray for people to be saved? How should we pray um, for people to be witnessed to? Number one, we need to pray consistently, uh, persistently. We need to pray persistently. Uh, verse 2 says, continue in prayer. That means devote yourselves to prayer. We got these iPhones nowadays, and when you're not using it, it's plugged up. And when it's being plugged up and on a charge, it's, it's gaining power. Well, then you pick it up and you start using it, it, start loses, it starts to lose power. The more you use it, the more you look on Facebook, the more you play YouTube videos, the more power it loses and eventually it will die. Our prayer life is the opposite of that. When we don't use our prayer life, it loses its power. The more we don't use it, the more powerless it becomes. The more we pray, the more powerful our prayer becomes. And if we have a consistent, persistent prayer life, and we pray more and more and more, the more and more we pray, the more and more powerful our prayers will be, the more and more effective our prayers will be. So we're to pray persistently. Next, we're to pray watchfully. We're to pray watchfully. It says continue in prayer and watch. Why watch? Because you've got an enemy out there that doesn't want to see people saved. You've got an enemy out there that doesn't want people to go to heaven. You've got an enemy out there that wants to see people bust hell wide open. You've got an enemy out there that doesn't want the gospel given out. He will try anything he can do to convince you to stop. He'll try anything he can do to convince you to stop praying for people to be saved. Oh, don't prayer. You see it. You've prayed this long. Ain't nothing happened. It ain't going to do any good. You just go on and worry about your life and let that person worry about themselves. And he'll do anything to do that. He'll try to distract us with sin. He may bring up a sin in our life that, that we've gotten victory over in the past. He'll do anything he can to distract us from the goal of winning people to the Lord. The only way to get victory over Satan and his devices is to watch out for him. Is to be watchful. Vigilance. 
must mark every day of your spiritual life. You must be vigilant. We cannot let our guard down because the devil will get us. He will distract us. He will do anything he can to stop us from winning souls to Christ. You don't think that he wants to stop us from doing the shoeboxes to get kids in the third world country, uh, the gospel? You don't think he wants to stop us from having missionaries come up in here and support missionaries to go to foreign lands to spread the gospel? He does. What Jesus say? Jesus was in the garden and he was with his disciples and he said, stop here and pray. And, and he went on a little bit and then he came back and they were asleep. And what did he say? He said, could you not watch with me one hour? He says that to us. We pray for someone to get saved and we pray for three or four days and then we quit. And Jesus said, could you not have prayed one whole week for him? Could you not have prayed for one whole month for that person to get saved? Could you not have prayed for one year? Look, it's just a year. What's a year compared to all eternity? Could you not pray just one year for that person to be saved? Next way we ought to pray is thankfully. It says continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. A life of thankfulness, it stems from, from submitting yourself to the sovereign will of God. That's how you have a thank, that's where thankfulness stems from. Let me read for you Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You know what that verse says? That verse says everybody in the world is grumbling and everybody in the world is complaining. So when you don't grumble and you don't complain, you stand out. You stand out as a light. You stand out as a thankful person because everybody's grumbling and everybody's complaining. And when you don't do that, you stand out. When you get down on your knees and you begin, to, you begin your day with a prayer of thankfulness, you take that through the rest of your day. When you start out thanking God for some things, you have an attitude of thankfulness throughout the rest of your day, and people can see that. People can see your thankful attitude, and that is a tool you can use to reach people, is a thankful attitude. That's why we have to pray in thankfulness. Nobody wants a grumpy witness. Nobody wants, some, nobody wants to be led to the Lord by a grump. By Oscar the Grouch. Nobody, no, nobody likes that. Far too often we give up before we even get a chance to fight. We need to know that God will win. Not, not think he's going to win. We need to know that God will win. We need to know that God wants to save anybody and that God can save anybody. So how should we pray for people to be saved? We should pray for them to be saved persistently, watchfully, and thankfully. So now that we know how to pray for witnessing, we need to know what to pray. Let's look at verse 3. It says, with all, praying also for us. Pray for all those others who are witnessing as well. Pray for all those other who are witnessing as well. Guess what? We as Christians, 
We're soldiers. We're soldiers. We have a priesthood. We have a commission. We are on a battlefield. We are fighting a battle. And even though we're all soldiers, and even though we're all priests, and even though we all have a commission, and we're all fighting the same battle, at the same time, on this battlefield, we each have different assignments. That's why he said in Ephesians 4.11, he said, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. Every one of us in our prayer life, we should have certain missionaries and certain pastors that we pray for specifically. We'd have certain missionaries and certain pastors that we pray for specifically. This coming March, we're going to have a missions conference. And it would have been two years since our last one. But we're going to have a missions conference the month of March. And in that missions conference, we're going to have missionaries come in every Sunday. The missionaries are going to come in here and they're going to show a video about their work. They're going to have some, a table set up most of the time to show some artifacts from the place they're going in the world. They're going to stand up behind this pulpit. They're going to preach. And what they're looking for is going to look for support. Now listen, if it were up to me, we'd take them all on. I wish we could. I wish we could take on every missionary that comes in here, but we can't. So these missionaries that come in here, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray that God will show us which missionary or missionaries God would have us take on. Now listen, let's say you're in here and you're listening to these missionaries preach and God gets a hold of your heart for missionary. Now let's say that just happens to be a missionary that we don't support. Let me tell you what you do. If God gets a hold of your heart about a missionary, I've never seen a missionary go into a church without a prayer card. If you go to that back table and you get that missionary's prayer card, I guarantee you that if they can't have your financial support, they covet your prayerful support. If God grabs your heart about a missionary and his family and you want to help his work, then you go back there and you grab his prayer card and you put it on your refrigerator and every time you see that prayer card, you pray for that missionary. We all should have servants of God that we pray for specifically. There was an evangelist, young in his ministry. He went and preached his first year preaching. He preached at a church. A couple days into the, into the meeting, a lady, a little bit older than him, came up to him and his family and said, I have just fallen in love with you and your family. What I'm going to do, and I'm going to make a promise to you, I'm going to pray for your ministry and your family every single day. And you know how the missionary is. Oh, you know, that's nice. And thank you so much. And he walked away thinking, well, that'll last a week. It was a couple years before that evangelist got back to that church. And as soon as he walked in that church, that lady met him. And he said, you remember a couple years ago when I told you I'd pray for you and your ministry and your family every day? I want you to know that every day over the past couple years, every single day, I have prayed for you, your ministry, and your family every day. That was over 30 years ago. For the last 30 years, that woman has prayed for that evangelist, has prayed for his ministry, has prayed for his family every single day over the past 30 years. There's no way we can know the blessings in that evangelist's ministry because of that woman praying for him. 
We all need to have servants of God that we pray for. Next, he says that God would open unto us a door. We need to pray for open doors and gospel opportunities. Pray for the gospel opportunities to open up, not only in your life, but pray for gospel opportunities to open up in the lives of those you're specifically praying for. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and, uh, and effectual is open unto me, and there were many adversaries. So, prayer, so Paul is saying, that, hey, doors are open unto me, and that's probably because people are praying for me. 2 Corinthians 2.12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Paul was in prison. Paul was in prison, and even though he was in prison, he was still praying that doors would be open to him. In prison, locked up, he wanted opportunities to share the gospel. And he was telling people to pray that I have those opportunities. Even though I'm locked up in jail, I still want to declare the truth of Christ. Maybe those doors did open up to him in prison because the people of Colossae prayed for those doors to open. Look, God has, an open, God has to open the door, but we have to have the boldness to walk through the door once it's opened. But if God creates a door and we don't go through, the opportunity will be lost. Paul, like I said, Paul asked for a door to open even though he was in prison. He was confined in prison, but he was still looking to buy up opportunities. And that's the mindset we need to have. No matter what's going on, we need to buy opportunities to witness for some to people. Look, are we ready for America to be, to be saved? Then we need to pray that God will blow the doors off the hinges. Blow the doors off the hinges in Cuba, in the Middle East, in Argentina, in China, and even in Southeast Louisiana. Number next, to speak the mystery of Christ. We need to pray for the whole mystery of Christ to be made plain when God opens a door. Have you ever felt like you muddled through the gospel? Have you ever felt like you were leading somebody to God and you just kind of muddled your way through and you kind of stepped on your words and you forgot which verse was next and, and you just didn't, didn't know where to go? Have you ever felt like that? I've felt like that before. I've, I've felt like that leading somebody to the Lord in the past. You know what? Who, you know who else did? You're in good company. Paul did too. Paul felt like that. That's why he said in verse 4, he said, that I, might, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He's saying, I need you to pray for me where I don't trip over my words. I need you to pray for me where I will give a clear, clear presentation of the gospel. This is Paul. This is the theologian. This is the man that wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And he's asking prayer so he will be clear when he presents the gospel. To speak a mystery is to reveal it to someone. The goal of evangelism is to make the mystery of the gospel clear. Now, it's not a mystery because it's confusing. And it's not a mystery because it's obscure like a tricky riddle, okay? It's a mystery because no one would ever think of it and no, would ever, no one would ever uh, know it unless God made it plain and God made it clear. Think about all the elements in the gospel you, that, that the Son of God should become man, 
that he should live a life of poverty and love, that he should die in the place of sinners and bear the, the curse of the law even though he was sinless that he would rise from the dead and reign in heaven today, that the ungodly should be justified by faith, that the Jew, the Gentile, red and yellow, black and light, will all be reconciled under one God, and that Christ should dwell in our hearts and seal us for glory. We can't make that up. That's, that's a hard story to make up. No one would have ever dreamed of that. This is a mystery that was hidden in the ages, but now it is time to be revealed. Now it is time to tell people about the mystery of the gospel. And we should pray that this happens all over the world. So that's the first part. Here's the second part. We're going to call this ground zero. This is where the rubber meets the road. Verses 5 through 6 of chapter 4. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. These verses, they answer the question, how are we supposed to deal with unbelievers in our life? When we come across unbelievers, and we will, we are going to come across unbelievers in our life, and when we come across unbelievers in our life, how are we supposed to deal with them? These verses explain to us how to deal with unbelievers in our life. You know what Paul's goal Paul's goal is I want to accomplish all the spiritual good that I possibly can in all of my relationships. In every relationship I have, I want to accomplish the most spiritual good that I can. And that was Paul's goal. That's what he means in verse 5 when he says redeeming the time. You know what redeeming the time means? It means make the most of your time. Or in other words, we want to call it buy up the opportunity. Life is a series of never to be repeated opportunities. And you can either buy that opportunity up for eternity or you can let that opportunity go by. I love Monopoly. Love Monopoly. Most of you know I will not play my wife in Monopoly. She called me a cheater five years ago. We've not played Monopoly since. I won't play my wife. But I love Monopoly. And uh, so uh, imagine yourself. I'm going to try to explain this. Imagine yourself on a big Monopoly board. Now the difference between this and a regular game is in this game of Monopoly, you only get to go around once. You get one trip around and that's it. You don't get to go around. You don't get to pass go and collect $200. You get to go around once. Every hour in your life is another square you land on. When you land on that square, you have an option. You can buy that square for eternity or you can let it go. Then you go to the next square. I can buy that square for eternity or I can let it go. And then you land on B&B Railroad. I can buy that for opportunity for the Lord or I can let it go. The kingdom of heaven is like a man that went on a long journey and he had servants and he said, here's money or talents. I want you to take this, these money and this talents and I want you to make investments for me while I'm gone so my money will be working for me. And these servants, they had a choice. They could take these talents 
and hide them and bury them and let opportunities pass them by. Or they could take this money and take these talents and start purchasing these opportunities for the Lord. And that's what redeeming the time means. So in these two verses, Paul answers the question of how can I buy up every opportunity for witnessing to people? How can I do that? He, he tells us in these two verses. And he answers, he, he, he answers his question. He gives us three answers. Answer number one is wise behavior. Wise behavior. This is how to buy up every opportunity you can for witnessing to somebody. Number one, he says, wise behavior. The verse says, walk in wisdom towards them that are without. A walk is a metaphor for somebody that's walking steady in one direction. You know, wisdom in the Old Testament, it actually comes from the same word as skill. The men who built the tabernacle, this word was used to describe them. The book of Proverbs, it shows a contrast between the wise man and the foolish man. The foolish man doesn't listen to God. The foolish man doesn't listen to God's word and his life is in chaos. Whereas the wise man, he does listen to God and he orders his life according to the word of God. Let me tell you something. Listen to preaching is good. Listen to preaching is really good. It gains your knowledge. But when you crack open a Bible and you begin to tell somebody how to be saved, you need the wisdom of God. You need the wisdom of God to be able to do that. It's knowing, you know the verse, uh, I am become all things to all men that by all means I may, I may save some. Wisdom gives, it, it teaches you how to be all things to all men, but at the same time, at the same time, not compromising your holiness and not compromising the truth of God. It says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. I want you to remember these people you witness to, these lost people you witness to, these people know nothing of God. They, they, they are without. They are on the outside. But you know what? You were lost once too. Me and you were lost just like them. So we don't need to think we're superior than them. We don't need to think just because I'm saved and you're not and because I'm on my way to heaven and you're on your way to hell does not mean that I am superior to that person because I was once where they were. So we can relate to them because we know what it's like to be lost. Using this method of witnessing is wise and uh, you got to have a feel for the moment and uh, you've got to have an eye for what people want and what people need. And some people say, Brother Brett, I can't do that. Brother Brett, there's no way that I can lead somebody to the Lord. I can't share the gospel with anybody. I can't sit down and take a Bible track and, and lead somebody to the Lord. Brother Brett, I'm just, I'm just not adequate for that. I can't do that. You know what? If you don't feel adequate in doing that, don't give up. Get wisdom. You can get more wisdom in order to lead somebody to the Lord. It's there for us to get. You know, we've talked about the source of wisdom, and God is the source of wisdom. He's the only source of wisdom. But let me tell you, there's more than one way uh, to get wisdom from the source. One way to get wisdom is meditation on Scripture. 
Bible says in Psalms 19.7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's one way to get a wisdom, is to meditate on the scripture. Next is prayer. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Another way to get wisdom is sound counselors. Did you know, I don't know if you know this or not, there is a whole book in the Bible on wisdom. The whole book, it's about wisdom. And it was even written by the wisest man that ever lived. It's called the book of Proverbs. The whole, from cover to cover, the whole book's about wisdom. And then the practice of principles and real life experience. Look, sometimes in order to get wisdom, you just got to do. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both, both good and evil. You know what that verse means? That verse means that just like a grown man who can eat solid food, you gain wisdom by constant practice. That's how you do it. Number next, salty speech. Salty speech. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Now listen. I believe that my wife, that my wife, I, I believe about my wife too, but I'm not talking about my wife now. Um, I believe that my mom is one of the greatest cooks. I love my mom's food. She cooked cook etouffee, and she cooked jambalaya, and roasted potatoes, and I love my mom's food. Of course, I'm partial to it. I grew up on it. But when I left my mom's house and I went to college, you know, you go into cafeteria food and Bible college, you know, cafeteria food. Eh. So, so some of my friends, that they would, they would put a lot of salt on their food to make it taste better. I'd never done that before. So I grabbed the salt and I put the salt on the food and I started eating. I was like, what in the world is this? I didn't know this was a thing. And so I was like, something's up with my mom's cooking. And so I get back home and I put salt on my mom's food and taste them like, where has this been my whole life? I have been missing out. And it turns out that my mom's afraid of heart disease and she never salted her food. And I didn't know anything different. I grew up with it. I just thought that's the way food's supposed to taste. And then I put salt on it and I'm eating the bottom of the plate. Okay, I didn't know. So I still believe my mom's the best cook after I salt her food. And so uh, food's just better when it has salt on it. What we say about Christ and what we say about the Christian life should be appetizing to others. When food is not salty, it is bland, it is unappetizing. And our speech should not be that way. If an unsaved person hears you bad mouth in the church, if an unsaved person hears you bad mouth in another Christian, if an unsaved Christian, if an unsaved person uh, hears you bad mouth in the preacher, uh, then they're going to get a bad taste in their mouth. I had a pastor one time. Unfortunately, he let he did he had good ministry, many solid years in the ministry, led a lot of people to the Lord. Unfortunately, um, he left the ministry in immorality, had an affair, and that's how his ministry ended. Many people were telling everybody and their cousin about the affair. and every, I didn't tell anybody. 
I didn't say a word to anybody about it. My dad's a barber. You know, barbers, they love gossip. I never told my dad about it. Years later, finally, somebody come through my dad's barber shop that told him about that. Ooh, and he was mad at me. He said, Brett, how come you didn't tell me about that? I said, because it's none of my business. It's none of your business, and you didn't need to know. That's what I told him. But the real reason why I didn't, and that's true, but another reason why I didn't tell my dad is because I didn't want it to leave a sour taste in his mouth when it come to church. I didn't want to leave a sour taste in his mouth for church. So here's the question. How do we develop the ability to make Christ sound appetizing? How do we develop the ability to talk about Christ in a way that will make other people's mouths water for Christ? And I think the answer is simply to spend every day reminding ourselves in Scripture why the gospel tastes good to us. Why does the gospel taste good to me? Some of us have been Christians for so long that we've neglected the privilege we have of enjoying Christ. We neglect that privilege. And so then we have the opportunity to tell somebody about Christ. Uh, we have the opportunity to tell somebody about Christ, but we've, we've neglected enjoying him so much that our taste buds are dull. And we don't make Christ sound too appetizing. You know, it's hard to salt your speech with the deliciousness of Christ if you haven't been enjoying him yourself. It's hard to do that. And when we get up off our knees and we're happy in him, we'll be in the best position to make Christ sound appetizing to others. You, you, you know who was the world's best, who was the king, who was the Michael Jordan of making people's mouth water at the gospel, and that was Jesus Jesus was the absolute best at making people's mouths water over the gospel. He said in John 4, 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He said in John 6, 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hungry, never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He was the world's, the universe's best at making people's mouths water over the gospel. When you lead somebody to Christ, your goal is to make their mouths water for Christ. And then the last point this morning, individual attention. The verse says that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. I love spaghetti. I love spaghetti. It's one of my favorite meals. And uh, Caleb is the only one in our family that doesn't like spaghetti. He doesn't like the tomato sauce. Um, I'm thinking about having him tested to see if he's really my son. Uh, well, I think we all know the answer to that. Um, but uh, uh, he doesn't like the sauce. So what my wife does is she'll pull out the pasta and put cheese on it because he'll eat just the pasta with cheese on it. So what am I saying? The point is simple. Each person is different. Each situation is different. But the gospel is always the same. And Christ is always the same. But there are countless ways to serve a meal. And we need to pray and have wisdom on how or to know how to serve it and know wisdom and know how to season the gospel when we give it to somebody.
There was a man named Noel Shaw. Noel Shaw was, uh, when he grew up as a teenager, he taught himself how to play the violin. And any time the, the young people would get around, get, gather for a community dance, Noel Shaw would, uh, would be invited to come and play for the, for the little dance. Noel Shaw got up to be close to 50 years old, and right before Noel Shaw turned 50, he got saved. After Noel Shaw got saved, he became an evangelist, and he traveled the world preaching. He traveled to um, America preaching. It's said that under the ministry of Noel Shaw, over 20,000 people received Christ as Savior. Noel Shaw also used his musical talents for the Lord. Noel Shaw wrote 110 gospel songs and hymns. Noel Shaw was in Dallas one, one time and he was doing a revival. It was a five-week revival meeting. We don't have those much anymore. These days you're lucky to get a weekend, three days. Uh, but he had a five-week revival meeting in Dallas, and then he caught a train to go to his next meeting, which, is in, which is, was in McKinney, Texas. Two miles outside of McKinney, Texas, his rail car derailed, and he was instantly killed. One year later, a Sunday school superintendent in Richmond, Virginia, took one of Noel Shaw's songs and wrote new music to it. It became the most popular song that Noel Shaw had ever wrote. Even today, when somebody on a movie maker, a movie director, wants to get across uh, uh, the Old West, they'll put an old church there and they'll have people singing in that old church and they'll have people come up and, and they'll ha he'll have them singing this song that Noel Shaw wrote. And this song is about soul winning. This song is about laying up treasures for eternity. And this song is about bringing Jesus the souls of the lost. And the words of the song, they go like this. Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness. Sowing in the noontide and the dewy eve. Waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, fearing neither clouds nor winter's chilling breeze. By and by the harvest and the labor ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. To walk in wisdom is to be a witness for Christ.